Leadership Podcast. This is episode number 46, and my name is John. I define myself as Alex. And I'm Zach. And in episode 46, we're going to try something a little different. Uh, All three of us listen to the teachings of Dr. Bowen and read his stuff, and one of the things he talks about is doing something different. So tonight, episode 46, we're going to do something a little different. Mm -hmm. I'm going to host, and we'll see how things go. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! I'm gonna sit on my laurels. That's my sure that's you will, Alex. Do. Sure you will. I've been doing that for years. <laughs> so when you hear episode 46, the number 46, what magic does it strike in you? The number 46. Um, four dimes, a nickel, and a penny is what I'm thinking mostly of. Four dimes. That's 40 cents. A nickel and a penny. Mm-hmm. That's 46 cents. 23 is a prime number, and it's two of those. It's two Michael Jordans. Yeah. LeBron uh-huh. plus Michael Jordan equals what? Uh, I don't know. What basketball player does that equal? Well, I'm just wondering, between the two of them, this is a debate. Which of the two is better basketball player? Zach, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Which do you prefer? LeBron James. Okay. And for what reason? There's not a Looney Tunes movie about him. <laughs> But I wish there was. (laughs) Well, you might be getting that pretty soon here, buddy. So your dreams will all come true. Fingers crossed. Um, I I shall. I don't know. Is it okay? It is. Okay. I shall be picking Michael Jordan. Um, he has more championships. He had more fight in him. Yes. And he didn't leave his team and come back several times. And then leave again. I like. I just like his attitude too. Mm -hmm. Just kind of like. He was just a fighter. Mm-hmm. I like that. Just kind of no nonsense. He wasn't like huggy huggy with the teams, and you know he crushed my hopes and dreams as a young child watching Mark Price and Brad Doherty and Craig Elo Craig floundering Elo. in the defense <laughs> and then crushed to the ground. Uh-huh. Yeah, with his hands wrapped around his blonde hair. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, how All about right. you? Uh, I think uh, for your same as you, Michael Jordan just had that steely eyed killer instinct mm-hmm. i think lebron's a more gifted player oh yeah but i think michael jordan just had the it factor yes is lebron a lot bigger than michael jordan much so it's like six seven or something right no he's six nine okay wow but much thicker i mean i know how big he is in relation to bugs bunny but yes it's not like a helpful metric so you might be wondering what we're talking about tonight. We're not talking about NBA players. This is not a sports podcast. This is not a sports podcast. This is the Of Leadership Podcast. And tonight, uh, today in our our episode, we're going to talk about stress as it relates to leaders. And whether you find yourself in a leadership position in the workplace, at home, in a community, or just relate with people. We're hoping tonight's topic is something you find to be really, really helpful. Dr. Bowen talked about that a two-person relationship between any two people is inherently unstable, that the tension between individuality and togetherness is always there. And so when anxiety rises, what happens is a third point of a triangle is born. So we're going to look at stresses in relationships through the lens of triangles and one of the most helpful parts of Bowen theory, I believe. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to a great night. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about sources 
of stress for leaders before we get into the triangle piece. So as you think about yourselves and the jobs that we have and relationships relationships that we're part of, what do you observe in self or what do you observe in others that tends to be stressful? What comes to mind? Well, I there there are a couple terms, um, nodal and watershed events. And so when I think about stress, especially for me, it's, I don't know, like I I find myself more on the end when I have stress, it's coming from my family. And so whether it's a discussion with my parents that didn't go well, that's usually for the most part, things that are going to be affecting me more than other things. Although I just mentioned this nodal event. So an example is we had at school, we had a colleague that passed away. And so that would be known as a nodal event. And that's something that doesn't happen usually. And that can increase, that increase my stress and all the other people's stress at school too. So those types of events, but for me specifically, it's going to be more towards the family. That's where I feel most of my uh, stress. And it sounded like the event, and of course being part of the school that you're part of, uh, with the death of the staff member, that was a kind of a one-time event that was acute. But the family one, is that for either of you, does that seem like more of a long standing or a, oh, yeah. a play that continues? Uh-huh. It's the act 10 or act 20 of <laughs> a long story versus something at work. Or? Yeah. It's, it's almost like it keeps happening over and over again. It's the last act of one man's play and somewhere in the middle of someone else's. <laughs> did you just make that up? Or is I that just a did. Quote? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should be hosting. Maybe I should. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's and it's interesting because the more that I know about what we're talking about with this bone family system series, I don't know if you guys have felt this, too. I'm sure you have. Like the more I know about this, I can start identifying the different pieces when when something happens in my family. I can step back and go, hey, this is what this actually is. This is X, Y or Z. And we we use those terms within this podcast. But I'm just like I can start identifying it. The, the hard part is, is it like not falling into the exact same reactive pattern and holy yeah. crap, that's been really hard. Like it's, it's crazy. Like I snap right into it without even any thought. My subconscious just screams it out. You know, like I had a little spiff with my dad the other day, like, and he, he and I have the exact same reaction where we just boom right now we get hot we can get red hot real fast and usually with my dad and i it's it's one of those things we butt heads and then we're we come back together and we're like hey we're sorry but this last time like and, and a couple times where it gets real weird with my dad and i we butt heads and then like one of us cuts off and then it's like it gets real real weird um and so man these patterns that you talked about john can be really tough to fix or, or not, not i don't know if fix is the word is fix the word guys Maybe even just awareness. Change. Like uh, yeah. the awareness of Bowen's family system theory affords is awesome because it's so general. It's like generally applicable. I can put it on the cutoff fusion spectrum. I can look at it specifically in terms of triangles and how I'm bringing other people in or pushing other people out or all that. But it's like what you're talking about, Alex, is interesting because it's a common emotional process that you regularly go through as compared to a nodal event. Right. That's a one time thing. Mm -hmm. It's a little easier to take a step back and say, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? Because it doesn't happen every day. It's a a one time thing for that person. You know, you get born once and you die once. Observing 
automatic functioning. So it's when anxiety rises, especially in a family, we tend to go to a certain behavior that we've frequently done in the past. Mm. And all the actors in the play pick up the familiar script. And triangles is one way to examine that script. And then this will probably be more in our our podcast in the future, but it will offer some applications at the end. But it's the idea of, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, doing something different, more thoughtful and less reactive. Mm. But when anxiety is high, that's pretty difficult. Yeah. When anxiety gets higher, why is it hard to do something different? It's a great question. Why is it difficult to be more thoughtful and less automatic? Why is that hard to do? Is it this perception that things aren't as they should be? Is it because there's some expectations that are being shifted or changed or something? Like, What do you mean? So like if you did something different, it would be not what's expected? Uh, there's like a conscious changing of expectations. There's a conscious reframing of things and a recognition of what was happening before and what you're trying to do different as compared to automatic functioning in highly anxious systems or just in a high anxiety situation. You have this sense of like things aren't the way they should be. I should do something different. I need to find a way to reassert control and at the very least, when you fall back into something you've already done, even if you don't know it doesn't work the best, oh, it's something that you're going to do because you know how it's going to work out. So you're talking about like homeostasis. Yeah. Yeah, just used to that. I have a practical example. I, I do some coaching on the side, and I was working with someone just recently who was talking about a colleague at school where this person works. And this person I'm coaching and a colleague that they work with, they share a similar student. They see them for two different things. And the student commented to the person I'm coaching that the the other staff member was keeping track of how many minutes this teacher was spending with each of her students. And the student was concerned that the person I'm coaching might get fired because they weren't doing their job properly. And this person was really upset that this is the person I'm coaching, that not only is their colleague keeping track of the number of minutes they're supposed to be doing their job, but that this child was disturbed. So I said, what did you do? And they said, well, I went to the principal and told her about what was going on and she was going to talk to this teacher. So that's a triangle. So it's a tension between two people. This is a, a, a person and a colleague. And that tension is being played out through, I mean, the child is almost the, an actor in this. And then a, an interlocking triangle then becomes the principal. And so the typical thing that happens in that situation is exactly what took place, is to reroute the direct confrontation with this person and go and loop in an outsider to then run interference. So would you say, so the reason why we aren't able to think more thoughtfully in a highly stressful situation is because we have our own set patterns and then those lead to triangles. Yeah, she wanted to avoid a confrontation that she wasn't sure she knew was how it was going to come out. Now, my question is this. The way that we triangle people, is that also part of our own patterns? Like, do we end up going to the same triangles, would you say? What does that mean? The so same like, triangles? okay, so... Um, so a specific triangle is, man, I can't handle this. 
this. I need to loop in a third person and tell them about it, you know, or I can't handle this. So I'm going to somehow compromise with the person I'm with to make them feel better, even though I might not agree with what they're doing. That's what I'm talking about. I feel like there is a pattern that could be displayed that you end up doing the same thing, right? I mean, isn't if you're looping in a third person to talk about somebody else, that's a form of gossip. It, it can be. And I think, you know, Bowen talked about triangles, I don't know that he used these words, could be healthy or toxic. So if I would go to, or in this particular case, if they would go to the administrator and say, can you help me figure out how to frame this with so-and-so? So like a solution oriented versus, hey, go fight my battles for me. No, okay. So I think it depends on what we use that third person mm. for, whether okay. it's fact-finding, solution-oriented, or if it's, in the words you use, if it's just gossiping and, and complaining. Oh, so it's like, it's like a spectrum. Uh huh. But it's also like if you're having, it (laughs) depends on the amount of anxiety you're going into that situation with and how you view that anxiety, right? So if, if, because the triangle is formed because of the anxiety, right? Okay. They're, they're always there. They just light up when the anxiety gets higher. You start to see them. Right. So for somebody to go to your boss and seek that triangle out in a more responsive way, a responsible way, looking for factual information as opposed to just offloading stress, those are two very different things, right? And is that dependent upon the self-differentiation of the person? I think so. I think also the le- relative level of intensity in that particular triangle. But I think person it can look like two different things depending on if they're going for thoughtful reasons or gossiping and bashing reasons. I remember a specific situation in college when I was an RA. There was an incident that happened that broke the rule- rules before school even started. And That's always good. <laughs> yeah, it, uh-huh. it's, it's a great chance great to start. Great start to the semester. <laughs> I'm not even through the training and I'm already like trying to resolve this issue and it's like what do i do here hey i think it makes a lot of sense they start out right beginning saying this is the way things are going to be here comes trouble (laughs) lock it in yeah and let me tell you there was trouble throughout that semester (laughs) but that that's some some future episode we'll we'll delve into that that'll be a fable unto itself Mm -hmm. but it was interesting because I didn't know what to do, but it was my supervisor, we'll call him a supervisor, my RD's responsibility, good old Ben, to, um, uh, he needs to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I did go to him to tell him what's going on. I had the full intention of resolving it myself, but I also didn't know what to do. And so him being well-trained, the they were very well-trained there. He, he said, hey, and he was testing the waters, do you want to handle this yourself or are you expecting me to go solve this for you and without thinking because it's the way I'm wired I was like well I want to go to this I don't want to hand off my authority to you I don't want them to see me as powerless and needing you for even little things like this he's like that's good that's why I hired you you hire people for what you can't train and then you train them on what you can but it was interesting because he equipped me to solve it for him and I kept him in the loop which meant we were both Uh, fulfilling our inherent responsibilities Mm. he was a supporting triangle per se sure but he wasn't it wasn't interlocking it didn't gridlock anything i'm not relying on him and i think the way that this uh relates to spectrums is people tend to seek conflict um or separation right just generally and i know that i seek separation typically but I know when I need conflict and so my first instinct was rather than starting with the dealing of the kid who had done whatever was seeking out Ben and saying hey like this is what's going on 
tell me what I need to do so I can go do it. Mm-hmm. And it gave me perspective. He equipped me to handle the situation. And I think it worked out for the best because I was more equipped in the future problems that I had with those rooms to deal with them as compared to if I had just handed it off. As opposed to you brought him with stress, right? Yeah. Okay. If he would have taken that stress himself, which he inherently did take some. Right. If he would have taken that himself, he might not have responded the way he did. Right. right. He could have done other things such as fix it himself and cut you, try to cut you out of the loop, you know, um, which inevitably would not have been helpful for your future. Or the person, my guess, is the person's future who is over here doing the bad stuff. Right? Right. And it's funny because he's the kind of person who, like, for example, if someone asks to be an exception of the rule, I want you to think about what would happen if everyone asked to be accepted from that rule. Mm -hmm. And it it wouldn't work. You know, if every, let's say there's a light limit it's stupid that's not a thing but let's say there's a limit of lights because there's a certain amount of electricity sure one room or two rooms can have more lights but if everyone did lights would blow you know power breakers flipped you know all hell would break loose but the idea is like he always thought in that worst case scenario that let's assume everyone did this let's assume and so that that really equipped him i don't know if he used to not think like that and he learned trial by fire but it was very helpful because He's not the one trying to solve my problems that I don't even want him to solve. Imagine that. He's assuming that I want him to solve his problem. He goes and solves it himself. I'm now no longer equipped to handle the situation in the future. He's um, destabilized my authority in that uh-huh. position. And What's he paying you for? I mean, that's basically what it comes down yeah. to. Like, what, what, are you, well, you know, what are you doing anymore? I wasn't getting paid. It's <laughs> one of the but worst. you did get free room and board. Yes, which is not comparable to most other compensations in other universities, but I digress. You know, the, the uh, this topic that we're talking about tonight, some of the material we're using comes from a guy named John Engels. He has a website called Leadership Coaching Incorporated. So if you get a chance to, to look up John's stuff, he does a great job. And in his um, article that was about triangles, he mentions four triangle patterns. And one of them is what you've just illustrated, that is solution requests. That one person brings a problem typically to a, to a boss and the boss solves it. Um, and the example you gave, Zach, is you brought this problem and, but you wanted to solve it himself versus your boss telling you what to do. So mm-hmm. some quotes here. Uh, I'm not sure what to do with this person. And the quote is, well, here's what you need to do. Tell them this. Mm-hmm. So question and answer. And I think you're right. It, it, it causes people to be too dependent on the leader and causes the person that's coming to seek the advice and request to really lose confidence and feel like they can't do much. So I, I mean, isn't this coming from a good space? I've heard people say this, but like, but they're, 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 they're intending the good intentions, you know, like, so as a teacher or as a, or as a boss or somebody, if, if they came up to you and said, Zach, I don't know what to do here. Tell me what to do. And you told me what to do. Oh, thanks. Solutions done. And you know, you did, you did me a solid, you feel good. I'm feeling good. Isn't that good? We've talked about it before technical challenges, challenges versus adaptive challenges. Um, so a technical question is, I don't know how to sign up for the ACT. Tell me what to do. Well, yeah. you need to go to the office and fill out this form. That's a technical question with a technical solution. But what you're talking about, Zach, and, and I think the, the root of relationship stresses that leaders have is more of the relational problem yeah. of 
I can't figure out Mary or Joe. Oh, you need to tell her this or do this. So I mm-hmm. think there may be a difference between okay. technical and like procedural stuff versus relationship stuff, which is you know more underneath the iceberg. Do you think though? Like I, I'm just trying to think is so if somebody needs to sign up for whatever some I don't know they have to know you got to fill out this form to, before you do that. Couldn't they just figure that on themselves too? Couldn't you point them in direction? I don't know. Like I find myself sometimes just being like, well, <laughs> this isn't good. Okay, I get it. But like somebody asked me something where I'm like, in my brain, I'm thinking, you could figure this out yourself. And then pretty much the words coming out of my, my mouth are, you can figure this out yourself. Like I'll definitely tell people. And I'm like, just go here. Like, I, the, yeah. And I know that sometimes it's not maybe the best response, but I'm just like, part of me is like, why am I dealing with this issue that you're bringing with me if you could just deal with it yourself? Well, I was thinking, um, you know, Abby, my girlfriend, I think she's been, woohoo. Yeah. She's had a really tough year teaching. Mm. And I wonder if when she's constantly enduring this high anxiety Mm -hmm. that she's feeling under equipped emotionally, she leans into emotional process that leads with her doubting herself and asking for technical solutions. So what she's really asking for is not a technical solution. It's hmm. for someone to encourage her that it's a safe space to find it herself. We, we just talked about the example of people coming to you asking for advice. There's the opposite of that where people are coming with this emotional process to vent. They're venting for emotions. Oh, I can't believe this person did this. What am I supposed to do? It sounds like a question you're supposed to help them out with. But sure. It's them looking for a space to process and vent emotions, not to find a technical outlet for their problem. And if they're looking for a technical outlet, maybe, as you said, they're not even, maybe even not realizing that they're looking for an emotional right, yeah, solution. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the beauty of what we've found in Bowen Family Systems Theory. It's not a technical solution. It's all this adaptive relational world, and, and that's why we really enjoy it. You mentioned the idea of a person coming to you to talk about a third. <clears throat> One of the other typical triangle patterns that <clears throat> excuse me, John Engels talks about is this anxious agreement where two insiders talk about a third and we were talking through this in my leadership class recently and one girl, one student said that she really sees herself do this a lot where she, in order to build some type of pseudo intimacy with another person, they look, they look at a third, they talk about another person, an outsider in that triangle to feel closer to one another. And, and so this is a common triangle of two insiders and an outsider. And that's, that's more of the gossip end of it, right? Yeah. It provides a, a, a common enemy or a common outsider to, mm-hmm. to focus on and talk about And we all do it. Um, yeah, for sure. And this is like a big thing when we talk about sports every once in a while. And, Mar- and you know, Zach really loves every, every once discussion. in a while. I'm constantly <laughs> drowning yes. in references I don't understand. Yes. But this is how sports teams works. This is how, okay, when 9-11 happened, which would be a nodal event, right? This is, okay, so 9-11 happens. We're all going to team up now. And we have a third that we can think about. You know, the, A common enemy. Yeah, we have a common enemy now. That does draw people closer together. And that's how a triangle works. And so now the common enemy is the third point of the triangle really far away, and the two parts come together, right? It's just nice when it's so simple that you have a common enemy that's supposed to be an enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're, we're studying Iran right now in my comparative politics class, and one of the aspects is that the United States is the great Satan 
and <laughs> that's the ah. phrase they use. And it's a common enemy and it helps unite the Iranian people into a common foe. And I see this a lot in anxious systems where countries look for the outsider. Nationalism rises. That's the two insiders. And they look at the outside world as us against them. Mm -hmm. And it creates that pseudo intimacy in a group of people. Mm -hmm. And Hmm. John, in your studies, like that lasts for how long? Uh, It lasts for as long until there's a war. Okay. Um, and then you have a winner and loser. A great fusion. A great fusion. But I tell you what, it's best to keep it chronic versus acute. So if you can nurse that enemy as the you know the enemy and never engage them in fight, that brings the most stability to that triangle is, oh. you know, they're the long-standing enemy. I mean, I was just, we were watching an episode of in uh, about Iran and keeping the U.S. as the outsider. That's why when individuals in Iran moderates, if you will, try to negotiate with the United States and try to make them more of a friendly negotiator. There are some that resist that because you're disrupting the emotional triangle that has made us stable, although they never use those words. So in bringing this back to the family, because this is, as we discussed, is like, that's where a lot of stress is from, right? This is like Fred. This could be Fred in your family, whoever he is, he could be an uncle or whatever. And man, we pick on Fred a lot. We do. Fred is the problem. He is the problem. Poor Fred. He is. Is this the identified patient? He is the identified patient. Yeah, so we're just going to point at him. I also, I don't know if you guys have had this too, um, maybe not the enemy, but have you noticed this also with like certain people who are the mascot in some way? (laughs) Like somehow they Mm. get some nickname because they did something silly one time and now you are blanket boy. Like we saw you with that blanket. We're just gonna call you Blanket Boy all the time, and laugh at you all the time, and because you're the mascot now, so we just call you Blanket Boy. More sassy, Stefan. <laughs> well, but, right? I mean, well, that's interesting because you brought up earlier about when you're in a family situation, and you kind of go back into those roles. So I'm speaking particularly to the adults in our podcast who go into their family roles, and do you reemerge as the child you were? in that particular family, even at the age of 40, you're the goofy one or you're the problem or you're the stoic one. Mm. And it's interesting how reemerging into the family, even as an adult child, you take on the roles you had, even when you were small of the problem or whatever, the yes. drinker, whatever. Yes, you do. That is on point, sir. It just, the way that, that, that manifests and that's, all because of that anxiety. The stress rises and you fall back into the same role. Pick oh, up man. the script. That is, yeah, I mean, that, wow, yeah. So as we think about, we've, we've talked about the stresses that leaders face and stresses can be nodal events, but it also can be relational and that can kind of be the chronic thing. So as we think about what we've talked about today, what are some takeaways for our listener? Maybe each of us could come up with one one takeaway that would be helpful to think about as we look at relationship stresses for leaders, what comes to mind? I think about projecting of your emotional state onto others, uh, specifically in my business sphere, especially in my currently remote position. I think a lot about uh, specifically when I'm in a tough project or when I'm in a project that's just not in an ideal state. You know, how, especially because I'm disconnected from the system, what are other people 
thinking and feeling, especially about my performance, especially when I don't have the ability to consistently communicate without going out of my way, consistently communicate my progress, my efforts, my status, and it's largely up to them to deal with that, especially because, you know, I'm comfortable enough to dwell in that chronic anxiety because it doesn't need to be dealt with because I know I'm doing what I should be doing. Hmm. So that distance creates the unknown, is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. And does that unknown increase the anxiety, you think, for you or others? I'm sure for both sides, yeah. For me, the takeaway that I had is like factual, keeping things factual. So as you approach a third, whatever that may be, I guess it could be a topic, it could be another person, whatever, keeping as far away as you can from the what ifs in that situation because the anxiety has risen for you to try to rope in a a third. Now, as we explained earlier, though, the anxiety doesn't have to be high to have a third person in or a triangle made. But if you keep it more factual, what is as opposed to what if, then you avoid some of the issues that can happen when it's you just avoid some of the issues. (laughs) You know, like um, to keep the anxiety low. Yeah, yeah, but it it helps with responsibility, and you talked about this. Mm-hmm. It helps with expectations and leading into some doing something different as opposed to following in the same roles. If you keep it more factual, um, yeah, that's that's something I'm I'm taking away here. You talk about that. What is versus what if. So we had scheduled in our particular podcast a pretty famous person that if I said this person's name, many of our listeners probably would have to Google this person's name, but this person's name would come up and you would see who this person is. And we had a podcast scheduled for this person to come. And at the last minute they backed out because they said they weren't sure who we were, whether we were a legit organization (laughs) and they feared going to an unknown place with strangers. And so it was the what if, Mm-hmm. that control their decision versus the what is. Mm-hmm. And we we put them in a boat and cast them to sea and said, best of luck to you. Uh-huh. Bon voyage. Bon voyage. Yes, sissy. <laughs> <laughs> My last takeaway is automatic functioning. I just thought of that earlier from what you said about that when anxiety rises, what do I tend to do? Do I tend to cut off? Do I tend to correct? Do I tend to try to control? And how can I be more thoughtful in those particular situations? So hopefully you found this helpful to think about relationship challenges in whatever leadership position you might find yourself. Even if you don't have a title, you do have influence on a system that you're part of. So hopefully you found this podcast to be useful that way. And as far as the different terms that we brought up here, we brought up a bunch of different terms with cutoff, fusion, triangles, automatic functioning, homeostasis. There's a lot of different types of things there. If you want to know more about those things, you can contact us at ofleadership at gmail.com. We can give you some information there. And in the future, within our website and possibly on YouTube too, we'll have some more teachings on that. So that's that. That's that. So for episode 46, thanks for listening. I am John. I'm Alex. And I'm Zach. Adios. See you around. So long.